saying amen. If you have a Bible here this morning, uh, turn with me to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. And basically, we're looking at the second portion of the story of Simon the Sorcerer, Simon Magus. He comes to saving grace there in Samaria. This morning, we want to teach on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And Simon comes to the place. He wants to purchase it. He wants to buy it. Now, we know that Stephen was the first martyr of the church. According to the book of Acts in chapter 6. And we know that uh, he was stoned to death because of his belief system. Because he stepped out by faith and he received Christ. And he began to follow Christ. And he began to be one of the disciples of Christ. And so here's this simple deacon. I use simple because they were the servants. Uh, they were the, the cupbearers, in a sense. They were the ones that cleaned the tables. They were the ones that cleaned the bathrooms. They were the, the ones that did the menial tasks. Well, Stephen, for his faith, is martyred. He went before the Sanhedrin and he preached the gospel. He took them from Genesis uh, to the present time in the New Testament. And the outcome was death. Well, now there's been persecution. And so the church scatters. We don't know how many are in the church at this time. There are those that estimate uh, 10,000 or more. We know that Peter spoke uh, his first sermon after the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And, and there was 3,000 souls that came to the Lord. And so there in Jerusalem, the church begins to become persecuted. The Bible says last in our last teaching, they scattered. Now, they took the steps of first, uh, basically, first, chapter 1, verse 8 of the book of Acts. And, and so they were going to be receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would take the gospel to Jerusalem, Samaria, to Ju Judea, and then Samaria, then the outermost parts of the world. Now, they're in Samaria. Samaria is only about 40 miles away. But now, the church is on fire in Samaria. There's an outpouring of God's spirit. Uh, there is a salvation. And so the church leaders, they're in Jerusalem. They send Peter and John. They send them to investigate. Go check the matters out. And as soon as Peter and John get there, they see a revival. But they notice something. They were lacking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit works in my life in three stages. There's three aspects. Uh, the Holy Spirit, I need him. You need him. Uh, number one, if you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit comes alongside. It's called para in the Greek. He comes alongside to convict me of sin. Once the conviction of sin takes, I respond. I raise my hand. I get on my knees. I cry out to Jesus. I need a Savior. I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to come into my life. And so the second aspect of the Holy Spirit takes place. The Holy Spirit comes into my life. It's called the in experience or E-N. So para alongside, now I accept Christ after the conviction, and he comes into my life. 
But so many Christians, they miss the third aspect. You're going to see Simon the sorcerer. He receives Christ. He takes on water baptism. But he needs the third aspect, uh, the EP experience. It's called EPI in the Greek. And it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit from literally the top of your head uh, to the bottom of your feet. The Holy Spirit comes into my life. He gives me power. The word is dunamis. It's dynamic power where, where we get our English word dynamite. And so something explosive takes place in my life. He enables me as another translation. He gives me boldness. I could, I could not stand up here and preach for the last 30 plus years without the power of God's spirit in and through my life. And so a lot of people respond, well, Pastor Bob, that's you. You're the pastor of the church. Well, dads, let me address you first. You're a Christian. You're a believer. How can you operate in your family? How can you lead and guide and direct your family? How can you be the prophet, priest, king of the home if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And moms, likewise, dad's there for a time, then he goes off to work. And then you taking care of the kids, rushing them off to school or whatever it might be. As a mom, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then those of you that maybe you don't have children, and maybe you're not married yet. But we live in a society today of evil. In fact, where they're calling evil good and good evil. And I desperately need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to lead me and guide me into all truth. The Holy Spirit is going to be my teacher. And so we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So don't forget, Simon, the sorcerer, takes on para. The Holy Spirit comes alongside, convicts him. And then he receives Christ. The Holy Spirit goes into his life. And now he sees by the laying on of hands there in Samaria that he needs the Holy Spirit. But the sad part is he desires to purchase it. And Peter's going to rebuke him. Your money perished with you. And so let's get into our text now and look at Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 14. And I like the caption of my Bible. I don't know if you have a study Bible or not. Mine says, Simon the sorcerer's sin. What was the sin? He tries to buy the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's a free gift. The Holy Spirit is a free gift. And so when we speak about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a free gift. You can't buy it from me. You can't go up to Pastor Jay. I'd like to buy that Holy Spirit. It's important to me. You need to ask him. You need to ask him. And you ask by faith. Lord, I need the Holy Spirit desperately. I know the Holy Spirit's in me, but I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he begins here in verse 14. Now, when the apostles were at Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. And they sent Peter and John uh, to them. So Peter and John at this point are considered the leaders of the church, uh, the pillars of the church, the early church. We don't know at this time who's pastoring the church in Jerusalem, but we know later that it's going to be James. 
James is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. At this time, though, I think it was kind of co-ownership, if you may. And, you know, they looked at Peter and John as pillars, and they said, hey, you guys need to go to Samaria. You need to check out. Philip is preaching. Philip gets the gift of evangelism. Now, here's what's interesting. Stephen is the first deacon of the church. He's been martyred. You go back to the book of Acts in chapter 6, and there were seven deacons. Now, another one was called Philip. Here's Philip. He's not a preacher. He's not a teacher. He's not a pastor. But he's filled with the Spirit. And he goes to Samaria because the Lord led him there. And he starts to preach the gospel. Now, it's interesting to me because Jesus had a heart, listen, for the Samaritans. Uh, if you're taking notes back in John chapter 4, Jesus went out of his way. Remember the teaching? The Bible says he went out of his way because the Jews would not go to Samaria. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breeds. The Samaritans were uh, involved in incest. Uh, they were deranged. And so the Jews wanted nothing to do with them, yet they were half-Jew. And so for a Jew to go to Samaria was unheard of. And who does Jesus meet there? The Samaritan woman. I love that teaching because, listen, Jesus went out of his way to visit Samaria. He went out of his way to minister to this woman. You know why I love this? Because Jesus went out of his way for me. He went out of his way for you. And now, this has been a time since John chapter 4. And all of a sudden, the Lord hasn't forgotten. Philip, take the message to Samaria. And there's literally a revival there. Look at verse 15. Who, speaking about Peter and John, when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is at Samaria. Notice that Philip was considered an evangelist. Then Peter and John are sent to investigate the situation there in Samaria. The, the revival was on the move. But as Peter and John arrived, they noticed something. Interesting to me, they noticed the lack of the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, they come to saving grace. In fact, some of them were already baptized in the water. But they lacked the power of God's Spirit. Obviously, Peter and John noticed it. Now, you have to ask the question, what about Philip? Philip's an evangelist. Philip is obviously baptized in the Holy Spirit. Philip could have been one of the 120 in the upper room. We don't know. But Philip knows about the Holy Spirit, or else he could not have gone to Samaria. Well, Philip's busy with the revival. Philip's busy with baptizing. And there was this shuffle, and it would be very easy to forget at this time, or to just kind of bypass it. Well, we'll get to the Holy Spirit later. And Peter and John come in, and they notice. Now, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Too many churches, too many Christians, they're satisfied with para. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts me. And so after the conviction, and in my case, 
In my testimony, I was convicted for three years. But then I finally responded, and I raised my hand, I walked forward, and I received Christ back home. And the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And then all of a sudden, we start hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And, you know, I wasn't ready for that. I was content with my baptism. And then six months later, we got water baptized. I, I, I wanted to be water baptized, but I was content with my salvation. But I really didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So my wife is reading a small little book. It was called Nine O'Clock in the Morning. And lo and behold, it was written by Father Bennett. Never forgot it. And she starts speaking in tongues. She asked the Lord, give me the gift. And God gave her the gift of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a prayer language. Well, being a man, I said, well, if she can do that, I need to do that. I can look back now. I was very prideful. Lord, how can you give this woman, my wife, the speaking in tongues? What about me? I'm the head of the household here. You know what? God had a reason. God had a purpose. I did not know it, but I had other gifts. There's many gifts, but I wanted to speak in tongues because Mary spoke in tongues. Because I'm going to be around some people and maybe they'll hear her in her prayer language and they'll say, hey, Bob, do you speak in tongues? Uh, no. And, and are you ready for this one? What's wrong with you? Look at Mary. Uh, men don't like that. But I had other gifts waiting for me. And I want you to write this down. When you study 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And then you study Romans chapter 12. And then lastly, Ephesians chapter 4. These are gifted men and gifted women that are given to the church. The leadership of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Chapter 13 is called the love chapter. How can you operate the gifts of the Holy Spirit without agape love? And then you go to, again, Romans 12 and then Ephesians chapter 4. Now, stay with me on this, because I've taught this many times. Approximately 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, stay with me again. Be careful we don't put those 21 gifts in a box. And we say, that's it. No more than 21. How do we know? It's 21 that I count, and I could be off. There could be 22, or there could be 20. I believe, and I know now, there's more than 21 gifts. But 21 gifts that we see. There are so many gifts of the Holy Spirit. My place, your place, Lord, I, I desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I desire the right gift for me. To use for your glory, for your kingdom. I had no idea that I was going to be given the gift of a pastor teacher. I had no idea that I was going to be given the gift of wisdom. I had no idea that I would be given the gift of studying God's word. I believe that's a gift. I had no idea I would be able to preach the gospel and have people understand it. I tell you, that was very difficult for me in the beginning. I'm going to preach. I barely got through high school, Lord. My English, sometimes I, I dyslexia, I turn everything around. 
And the Lord says, I want to use you. I was content in Southern California. My ministry was the streets. My ministry was the gangs. My ministry was the prisons and the jails. And I was happy with that. On Saturdays after work, uh, we would go down to the park. And, and I knew where all the you know, gang members were in our community. So I'd go preach to them. And some of them knew me. Some of them knew what I was doing. And they respected it. But I wanted to share Jesus with people. I did not want to be in the pulpit. That was not my call. That was God's call. And so notice in verse 15 again, when they had come down uh, to Samaria, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 16 gives us the reason. For as yet, he had not fallen upon none of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks about water baptism. But I want you to see something. Too many times, and I've seen it, I've heard it in Christian circles. Uh, they give a title to the Holy Spirit as an it, an essence, a feeling, a mist, a power. But it, the Holy Spirit is God. We have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We cannot deny it. And so here in verse 16, notice the personal pronoun, he. They're speaking of the Holy Spirit. We shared many times the Holy Spirit is not a feeling, an essence, a thing, a myth. The Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. If you're taking notes, in Acts chapter 5, the church is on the move. Uh, they began what we call today communal-type living. There in the Jerusalem church, uh, they were bringing everything together. They had all things in common. And literally, they began to pool uh, their monies. They began to pool uh, their businesses, their lands. I mean, they were open. Because the Spirit of God had spoken to them. And they began to distribute accordingly. Well, in Acts chapter 5, people were coming uh, to the pillars of the church where Peter, John. And they were saying, this is what I want to give to the Lord. Now, they were in no obligation uh, to give any more than they thought. So if you came in, listen, uh, my wife and I have talked about it. We want to give 10 bucks. Then give 10 bucks. And the churches should never tell you you need to give more. But Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife team, they came in. First it was Ananias. It comes to Peter and he says, we sold some property. Peter says, okay, we sold property for such and such. And this is how much we want to give to the church. Peter, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And Peter says, why have you lied? No, 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 this is, no, you have lied. You actually sold it. See, Peter had the gift of discernment. You actually sold it for this much. And you should have just gone back to square one and say, this is what we sold it, but this is how much we're going to give you. Peter would have said, great. And he stuck to his lie. And Peter said, listen, there's some men out there waiting, and they're going to carry you out. The Bible says, Ananias fell over. Dead. 
Now, I don't understand this next portion, but his wife, Sapphira, comes in three hours later. How did she not know? And so when she comes to Peter, obviously the husband-wife team, they spoke together. When you get there, say this. Say, why weren't they together? I don't know. But Sapphira says to Peter, we sold the property for this, and we're giving this. And Peter says, you have lied about your giving. And she said, no. Listen, you have not lied to man, Peter says, but you have lied to God. They call the Holy Spirit God. So in the Trinity, God the Father, God the, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and then Peter says, listen, the men are waiting right there. These same men carried your husband out. And they're going to come in likewise and carry you out. Bible says she fell over. Both of them are dead within a three-hour span. Now, at that point, Peter should have taken up an offering. Nobody gets it? Can't you see people? Honey, tear that check up. Let me rewrite that. But that's not what it was about. Listen, it was about lying to the Holy Spirit. It was not about lying to Peter or to John, but it was about lying to God. Always be sincere with God. Always be upfront with God. First of all, God does not need your money. He does not need my money. When we give, listen, we give from the heart. When we give, we give from the heart. And if we say we give from the heart, we open our wallet and we're making faces and, you know, moths are coming out. Close the wallet back up, man. It's your, it's your money. God doesn't need it. I learned years ago, we never, there's no pressure at Calvary Chapel. We just give from the heart. That's what it's all about. And so the Holy Spirit had not fallen on any of them. Uh, look at verse 17. Then they laid hands on them, those in Samaria. This is Peter and John. And they received the Holy Spirit. Notice that Peter laid hands on those, those that were saved in Samaria and willing to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And how did they receive it? But by faith. And they laid hands on them, on the people, and that was Peter and John. They're both used from God here. The power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them, upon man, upon woman. And when one truly asks, then the Lord will fall upon you. The Lord will fall upon me. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a little snippet about prayer. And he speaks about prayer like this. When you pray, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock. Here's the criteria there in the Greek grammar. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Believe God by faith. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I kept asking, Lord, give me a gift. Now, in the back of my mind, I know I wanted to speak in tongues. Lord, give me a gift. And I was being honest with him. Lord, get me away from this desire to speak in tongues. I want what you want for me. And you have to be open. Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit and give me the gifts that you see fit. That can honor you and that I can be used in the church. 
the body of Christ. Because Paul said to the Corinthians, uh, there's many gifts, one spirit, one spirit. When Jesus gave Peter and the other apostles, remember the topic, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You find that in Matthew chapter 16. One of many purposes when he gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Peter and John are welcoming now those in, in Samaria, the Samaritans that were a hated group who had previously, listen to this, been excluded from uh, the people of God and the kingdom of God. They received salvation. Unheard of. And now... To seal that salvation, the Holy Spirit's in them. But Peter's offering them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John noticed that. There's something lacking. And he laid hands on them. Now laying hands and believing that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, that's just one of the formalities. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit right there sitting. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by standing, sitting, kneeling, arms stretched out or arms not stretched out. When I was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence to speak in tongues, like I said, my wife spoke. And so I took my brother. I was going to every meeting possible. I, I went to little Pentecostal churches. I went to little charismatic churches. And I got bounced around. People were shaking me, hitting me in the forehead, going like this, receive. And I'm going, man, what am I doing? My brother comes with me. He's sitting about where Chewy's at. The preacher's preaching away. He asked everybody to come up for the baptism, and they did. My brother didn't want to go up. All these people were prayed for. My brother was sitting, and I go back. He's crying like a baby. What's wrong with you, Ed? I don't know. Listen, blah, blah, blah. And he's speaking in tongues. I go, Lord, what about me? And you go through the woe me's, as the kids say. You know, we told the kids that. Be open to what the Spirit of God has for you. Here I am 30 plus years later. I didn't know I had the gift of preaching and teaching and being a pastor teacher. And I wanted to speak in tongues. And this we're, we're going to see this as Simon the Sorcerer. He wants to be empowered, even if it costs him. But I want you to turn to a passage. I want to give you the three aspects of the Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And I want you to see verses 15 through 18. Hear what scholars call the three prepositions of the Holy Spirit working in my life, working in your life. The first one is para, remember? The second one is in, E-N, comes into your life. And the third one is the P experience, E-P-I. All three are available, but most people only are content with the first two. So John 14, look at verse 15. And the caption of my Bible says here, Jesus promises another comforter. Wait a minute, Jesus, you're my comforter. Well, he was going to die. He was going to be buried. On the third day, he would rise again. He would have a 40-day post-resurrection. And then, in Acts chapter 1, 
It's called the ascension. Jesus would go back into heaven. So the helper leaves. But he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send to you the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He's the second comforter. Think about that. Now, let's read it real quick. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. These are the words of Jesus. And I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus would ascend to heaven. But the Holy Spirit would come in the book of Acts chapter 2. The church was never the same. And the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. In verse 17, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. And here's where the prepositions begin to come into picture. He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you. That is the word para. He dwells with you. I want you to remember. Back in the day, somebody's witnessing to you. Somebody's sharing Christ with you. Maybe you're reading the Bible yourself. Maybe somebody hands you a track. Maybe you went to a concert. Maybe you went to a play. Maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade or a Greg Laurie crusade. Uh, maybe you went to a church where they were preaching. And then they asked you, would you like to receive Christ? And the Holy Spirit's been prepping you. The Holy Spirit's come alongside, and he's pricking your heart. Bob, you need to get saved. Bob, you need to get saved. And I kept ignoring three years, church, three years. And so that's the para experience. And so finally, when the conviction was too much for me, I went forward. I received Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes in. Second preposition. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. But you know him, verse 17 again, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, the first preposition is para. The second preposition is in. He will be in you. He comes alongside to convict. But the Holy Spirit wants to be in you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Know you not now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's beautiful to come into our church. It's beautiful to come into your church, wherever that might be. And we honor our church. We have ladies and a couple of guys. They clean this church up for us. It's ready every Sunday, every Wednesday. They clean the bathrooms. They clean the kitchen. They get the children's ministry ready. They vacuum in between here. And it's beautiful. But this is our meeting place. This is not the temple of God. He's right here. And when you leave, we lock up the place. Remember the old days, we used to leave churches open. I remember my mom would take me to, to go pray for my dad because he hadn't been home. And so she'd take my sister and I out of bed, and we go down to St. Joseph's. There was never locked. And we would go in and pray. They didn't lock churches. Now they have to. I fear what would happen. Our churches in the downtown mall, we don't have a lot, but I'll tell you what, they would come in and ransack everything. And so God wants to hear from us. God wants to... Move upon our hearts. 
The Holy Spirit comes into my life. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. Uh, but I need the third preposition. Para, he comes alongside. And he comes in once I receive Christ. I need the EP, EPI. It's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, you shall receive power. The word is dunamis, where we get our English word, dynamics. And where we get another English word, the Holy Spirit enables me. He empowers you. He gives you dynamic power. He enables you. He gives me boldness. Listen to this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon, upon you, the word is the appeal experience, EPI. To understand this, I always give Psalm 133. You see down here, we have a little vial of, of oil. And basically, when we anoint people, we put a little cross on their forehead. And then we pray for them. And we'll pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll pray for a healing. We'll pray for whatever problems you're going through. Pastor Bob, pray for us. That's why we tell you Pastor Cliff is up here in the front for prayer. Well, in the Old Testament, when they anointed you with oil, they meant business. The AP experience comes into focus. If you go back to Psalm 133, Aaron is going to be ordained as the high priest. They take a flask of oil. You understand what a ram's horn is. And they would take the ram's horn. And they would fill it with oil, olive oil, holy oil, oil that's been dedicated unto the Lord. And then they pour it on the person's head. Now, interesting, uh, some rams are pretty good size. Some ram, I mean, we have a shofar on the back table there. Now, that shofar has been dipped in hot water and then twisted and twisted. It's pretty good size. But, uh, but I'm thinking they use a small ram. And even then, listen to me, that ram's horn probably could gather a pint of oil. That's a lot. And they poured it on Aaron's head. Listen, read the text. The oil saturated went from his head to his beard and went down through his clothing and went down to his feet. The picture is the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, the picture is the Holy Spirit, not just a dab of oil, the Holy Spirit engulfs you. The Holy Spirit takes over my life and takes over your life. This is what was happening in Samaria. But then we come to Simon. Simon Magus, also called Simon the Sorcerer. He has an agenda. He sees this phenomena happening. What about me? Look at verse 18. Let's go back to our text. And when Simon the Sorcerer saw that through the laying on of hands uh, by the apostles, uh, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. He offered them money. Now, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's a new believer. He's been operating in world conditions. He's a sorcerer. He's an incantationist, they're called. He's a diviner. He's all those things that we see in the Old Testament. But he sees something here. Notice that the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers in Samaria. How? But by the laying on of hands and prayer. Now, if you're taking notes, in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, Ananias 
laid, this is another Ananias, he lays hands on Saul of Tarsus, which would eventually be Paul the Apostle, and the Spirit of God comes upon him. And we know that Paul the Apostle eventually writes the majority of the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, uh, Timothy was laid hands on by the elders of the church. Now we know eventually he's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But the elders of the church came and laid hands upon him. Now here's an interesting take. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul reminds Timothy, when you study First and 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy was ready to quit the ministry. He was a young pastor. He had to have been at least 30 years old. They wouldn't listen to him. But ministry was tough. And he wanted out. And so Paul comes to him in 2 Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul reminds Timothy, you were laid hands on in time past, what he was talking about, 1 Timothy 4.14. And then he says, so stir up the gift that's within you. The gift is there. Stir it up. And sometimes we need that gift to be stirred. See, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit many, many years ago. But I still ask the leadership here, pray for me. Especially before I come up and, and minister, pray for me. And people will come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Bob, we're going to go minister over here. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. Would you pray for us? I say, yes, let's pray. You see, the Holy Spirit's in you. But if you're not exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can become dormant. The Holy Spirit can, if, and now if there's sin, the Holy Spirit will move back. And that's why confession has to take place. And so the gifts of the Spirit were evident now in Samaria. But Simon sees it. Simon wants it for a different uh, position. You're going to see that. Now in Acts chapter 2, we know the promise of the Holy Spirit, the 120 in the upper room. It says that there was cloven tongues of fire. And they said there was a rushing, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And something happened. According to Acts chapter 2, over 17 or 18 dialects were being spoken as they spoke in tongues. And they were speaking in tongues the wonderful works of God in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. Go back and study that. But by faith, by faith we ask God, Lord, give me the gift. Lord, I'm a Christian now. I, I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I've received Christ. I've received water baptism. Uh, but I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need what Pastor Bob is sharing. I need what the book of Acts chapter 2 is all about. And so you ask. As we shared earlier, earlier you ask, you seek, you knock. Uh, the grammar and the Greek, you keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God is going to gift you. And he's going to give you the gift. See, I was just asking for one gift. But you ask, Lord, whatever you want to give me. So I can be effective for you. So I can use it for your glory, for your kingdom, for your church. So when we ask, we pray. Remember, there are many gifts. 
Be open to the Spirit. We know there's many gifts. There's one Spirit. Different gifts, right? And so some have the gift of tongues. It's a prayer language. Others have the gift of healing. Others have the gift of being a prophet or the gift of prophecy. But here's where I finally came in. I didn't know. But God gave me the gift of being a pastor teacher. I've always asked for the gift of evangelism. But honestly, it has escaped me. Because that's not what God wants me to do. And yet I've seen people get saved. So you do what God's called you to do. There's another gift we all fit. The gift of an apostle. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Bob. There was 12 of them. And we know that Judas went out and hung himself. And then they cast lots for uh, Matthias. And then we know later that Paul's considered the 12th apostle born out of due season. What do you mean you want me to be an apostle? What do you mean the gift of being an apostle? The word is apostolos. It means an ambassador for Christ. A representative of Christ. And so you're a Christian. Wherever you go, you're going to represent Christ. It is a gift. Because some of us will represent Christ a lot stronger than others. But I believe it's a gift that we all have. There is a gift of faith. Lord, give me faith. Gift of miracles. The gift of wisdom. You need to seek the Holy Spirit. Years ago, Pastor Xavier, I never forgot it. He says, for years and years, people come out, Pastor X, would you pray for me? I'd like to have the gift of miracles. There's nothing wrong with asking. I'd like to have the gift of wisdom. I'd like to have the gift of faith. I mean, the list goes on. And Pastor X, uh, when somebody came up, they said, you pray for me. You pray that God would give me the, the right gift. And he says, okay. Lord, I pray for this brother. I lay hands on this brother. I anoint him with oil. Lord, I pray that he would receive the gift of giving. The guy kind of flinched. Whoa, I don't know if I want that gift. Well, you see, that is a gift. Giving is a gift. And I'm not talking about just finances. We have people in this church that, that are givers. And I'm not talking about just finances. They'll give of their time. They'll give of their energies. There's people that just volunteer for almost anything. And, and sometimes we have to say, slow down. You know, we, we, there's always help needed in the church. But we all have that attitude. Oh, that guy over there, he, he'll do it. Oh, that lady, she'll do it. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And so pray, Lord, give me the gift that is suitable for you. What happens in Samaria? The Holy Spirit falls by asking. Ask with faith, believing God and trusting God. Uh, notice that Simon now, the sorcerer, he saved, remember last week or two weeks ago, he's a saved ex-sorcerer. He seized by the laying on of hands. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given to the believers in Samaria. He offers Peter the audacity, Peter and John, money for this power. How sad. I said it was a free gift. 
Peter said it was a free gift. But he wants to buy it. Now, I believe Simon possibly did not know. That's okay. Uh, maybe he was thinking worldly. Listen, maybe in time past he purchased the Sorcerer's Apprentice book and it cost him. So that's what he might be relying to that. Uh, maybe after a time he was studying sorcery, he applied for a sorcerer's school, a sorcerer's conference, and it cost him. I mean, those things happen. So he's thinking what they did in the world. But he wanted to pay for the power of God's Spirit. Church, the Holy Spirit is not for hire, and the Holy Spirit is not for sale. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is a free gift of God. It's a free gift of God. Open up your heart, open up your arms, and say, Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Lord, give me the gifts that are suitable for you in the ministry. Lord, gift me as a dad. Gift me as a mom. I need to govern my family. Gift me as a boss at work. I need to operate in your spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you into all truth. Look at verse 19. And so Simon continues here. And he says to Peter and John, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, Simon, what's your agenda here? That's what I would ask. He asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Was he asking for himself? I believe so. But what was the purpose? Was he asking so he could serve God greater? So he could serve the body of Christ greater? Notice that Simon wanted this dunamis power so he could lay hands on others. Or was Simon looking to add accomplishments to add to his sorcery resume? His popularity as a sorcerer? Because remember, we shared last week or the week before, they feared him. He would put spells on the people. They feared him greatly. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of following. And people listened to Simon. And so he sees this now. And he says, I can add to my repertoire. That's what he's thinking. And so God forbid that he would take this step. But didn't I tell you earlier? I looked for the gift of praying in tongues. Because my wife Mary had the, the gift and then my brother had the gift. Did I want to show her up? Did I want to show him up? He's my younger brother. I should have this gift. Not him. Because that's our mindset. That's how we think. We think like in the world. And I was too young of a Christian to know better. <laughs> Did I want others to see me? Did I want others to hear me? Not only did my wife speak, but other family members, my mom, my brother, etc., my cousin. And so I, you should have seen me in those days. I was like, Lord, don't you love me? I want to speak in tongues. And I went through that whole ordeal. People shaking, pastors getting, when they're talking to your face, spit all over you. Lord, I don't need this. 
These are the learning factors we all have to go. And because I've always been big, they want to knock me down. And, and I take a football stance, and you're not going to move me unless you're a lot bigger than me. And so listen to the flesh, how it gets in. And it does. And I would walk away from the pulpit wiping my face. Man, spittle everywhere. Now, no Holy Spirit. What's wrong with me? And so I struggled with these things. And so here's Simon now. Now, I want to share something with you. Because of Simon's sin, there was what they called the sin of simony. Look it up. Google it. You'll be surprised. It was part of the Dark Ages. It was part of the Reformation. It was part of the church. And so later in the church, simony was called, the term simony came into being. Listen to what the translation is. Simony, uh, the buying or the selling of a church office or ecclesiastical influence. This happened in the time of the Reformation. Does it happen today? You have people that, big churches, families come in, we're in a building project, and they have money, they have the means. Listen, we want to donate this much to the church. Oh, thank you. We need the donations, we're in the building project. But we're going to ask a favor, and that's where you got to be careful. Uh, could we have a couple of stained glass windows with our name at the bottom? Hmm. Uh, I know you guys are going to put new pews. Could we have a small plaque that says the Joneses? And then the Joneses won't sit here because that's their pew. They sit in the seat be behind. And every Sunday they come and they polish the plaque. I I'm not kidding you. I went to the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, Mary and I. And, and way up in the front, the Crystal Cathedral is huge. And, and we saw the plaques. We saw the plaques. And I go, what would they do if I took the plaque off and put my plaque? Now you're thinking like them, Bob. The Holy Spirit is not to be purchased, to be bought, or to be hired. You want to give to the church? Give. Don't put, you know, expectation. Okay, give, but then do this. And so Simon, what was his agenda? What did Simon want? Notice verse 20. <laughs> Simon is rebuked. Peter said to him, listen to this, your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Oh, what a heavy scripture. Now, Peter could have given Simon, he's a new believer, he could have given him a, a, a break. Let's give Simon the benefit of the doubt. He's young in the Lord. Instead, Peter spoke the truth. Peter told Simon the truth in love. I'm sure it was hard for Simon and those standing around to hear the truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Sometimes the truth, it hurts, but we need to hear the truth. Now, mark this down in verse 20. Your money perish with you. Your money perish with you. Listen to some of the translation. The word perish is very, uh, very hard. 
The Amplified Bible says the word perish, destruction overtake your money and you. The New Living Translation, your money be destroyed. The word uh, destruction, perish. Your money be destroyed with you. J.B. Phillips in his translation, very hard. Philip writes the translation, money perish with you. He says, to hell with you and your money. Whoa, radical, radical. But when you look at the Greek structure, that's exactly what is being said. Albert Barnes, one of my favorite commentaries back in the 1800s, he says in this particular text, your money go to destruction. We abhor your impious offers. You and your money go to destruction. We abhor your impious offers. You see, I just got through telling you, some of these words are pretty harsh, but I want you to write this down. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's preparing them. My time is near. I'm going to be going to the cross. I'm going to die. He told them many times they didn't understand. I will be buried. On the third day, I'll rise again. There'll be a 40-day post-resurrection, and then eventually the ascension back to heaven. Peter slightly rebukes Jesus. Don't talk like that. It's not going to happen. I'm here to protect you. Jesus said these harsh words uh, to Peter, and some of you know it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Whoa. Radical. This is Jesus. Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. In other words, he knew where it was coming from. It was not coming from Peter. But the devil had given him those words. Get thee behind me, Satan. And I love Peter. Didn't Peter deny the Lord three times? When the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter said, no way. It's never going to happen. Yet God, in his mercy, his grace, didn't Jesus forgive Peter? Remember the three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Uh, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Third time. Peter, do you really truly love me? By this time, Peter gets angry. Lord, I love you. I told you. Feed my lambs. I believe, and other teachers believe, those three acknowledging, feed my sheep, he's forgiving him. The three denials that Peter, remember the last denial in the book of Matthew? He went out and he cursed because the rooster crowed. He knew. He knew. Uh, let's get ready to finish this off now. In verse 21 in our text, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. Listen to the rebuke from Peter. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart. There's the problem. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now let's go back just to reminisce. Simon was convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe he came to saving grace. I believe he was water baptized. And now he desires the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the irony is that he wants to buy it. It's a free gift, Simon. 
And I think that's a lot of people in the church today. Listen, if in the Bible it said, you give $10,000 to the church, and you're guaranteed carte blanche, you're going to go to heaven. We would all do everything in our power to get that $10,000. I, I mean, we would have yard sales. We would have burrito sales. I would make the best enchiladas, you know, just because I got to raise 10 grand. And then I would raise the first 10 grand for me. Okay, Mary, now we'll do yours. That's just our nature. But it's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. I love enchiladas and I, I love burritos, but they're not for sale for God. Notice now, Simon, his heart was not right in the sight of the Lord. Further rebuke. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, salvation or the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that what he's talking about? Or both. Here's Peter's key. I want you to pay attention. Peter's key to Simon. Simon, your heart is not right in the eyes of God. Your money perish with you. That's what he said in verse 20. Listen to what the Greek is saying. Your money be with you unto perishing. The word perish can be described as hell. Radical statement concerning Simon the sorcerer. Verse 22 now, let's keep going. And so Peter gives him a way of escape. Repent, repent. Therefore of this wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter is saying this. Repent, pray to God, if perhaps you, your heart would be forgiven you. Only God can save. Only God can, can promise. Only God can baptize you. Only God can, can forgive you. And so Simon is asking, Peter, come on, tell him to forgive me. Or you forgive me, Lord. You forgive me. But what was Simon asking? Sometimes we ask in the wrong attitude. Is there true repentance? Is there true confession, change of mind, change of heart, change of direction? <laughs> Notice it. He says, perhaps your heart may be forgiven you. That's, that's not a sure deal for me. I know that God forgives me. I know that God forgives you. If we mean it from the heart. We need to give this to God. And so Simon, his attitude is wrong. His attitude is wrong. Look at verse 23. Peter says to him, For I see that you are poisoned by the bitterness and bound by iniquity. Peter had discernment of the Holy Spirit. I discern, Peter says, that you are Poison, listen to the translation. The word poison is the bile, the gall, the wormwood. You're poisoned by bitterness, another word for poison. In other words, listen to the way it translates. You have poisoned yourself with your own poisonous sin. What was Simon's sin? I have to say that his sin was greed. I have to say uh, that his sin was 
the desire of power. And let's take it one more step. Men, you know this. I think Simon's greatest sin was pride. Pride. What stops us from confessing our sins? Pride. What stops us from admitting our sin? Pride. What stops us, men, from saying to the wife, I'm sorry, honey, I, for, I, I need your forgiveness. I blew it. Pride. Oh, she loves me. I don't have to tell her. Simon's pride. On your own, if you've never studied Psalm 150, excuse me, Psalm 51, not 151, Psalm 51. It's a psalm of King David. It's a psalm of repentance. That's a heavy psalm. We know that David was uh, uh, the king of Israel. The battle is going on. He's up in his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. She's a beautiful woman. And he inquires about her. And they said, that's Uriah's wife. Hmm, I'm the king. Ask her to come and talk to me. Next thing you know, he's lying with her. Next thing you know, she's pregnant with child. Bathsheba says, what are we going to do? David says, I'll take care of it. He sends for Uriah. He tries to keep Uriah at home so that he could go into her and she would become pregnant. It's my child. But Uriah did not want to come home. His men were out in the square. And so when he came home, he wanted to spend time with the men. And so that failed for David. What did he do? He sends a letter, and he gives it to Uriah. Take this to the captain. Opens the letter. Put this man, Uriah, to the heated part of the battle. David accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He was killed in the battle. David gets word. What does he do? He marries Bathsheba. And they have a child. He covered up his sin. Threw it under the carpet, right? But God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan. And he goes to David. And he tells him a little story about a uh, little ewe lamb. Remember the story? David, this guy had a little ewe lamb, a little pet. But some company came over. He killed it. And then he fed everybody. David got outraged. What would you do, David? David said, I'll kill that man. He looked at David. He says, you're that man. You're that man. Uh, Psalm 139 says, God is the all-seeing eye. He sees everything. And, and so Simon, his heart was not right. He's poisoned himself with his own thoughts. David says, <laughs> or or. Peter says, your money perish with you. In verse 24, then Simon answered, and he said, pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Wait a minute, Simon. You have the ability. You pray for yourself. Once Peter to take care of it. There's no sign of repentance in Simon. There's no sign of confession. There's no sign of remorse. He was busted, yes. And he was sorry that he got caught. That's what happens. 
Instead of actually humbling his own heart before God, Simon asked Peter to pray uh, he would be spared the consequences of his sin. Did Simon feel a true conviction of the Holy Spirit? Because he does seem willing to humble his own heart before God. I don't believe so. Peter is placed to ask for forgiveness of Simon. You see, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you truly repented before God and your sins were great sins, they would take sackcloth and ashes. They would put themselves in a heap of ashes. They would literally throw ashes on themselves. And they would fast sometimes for the whole week. And they would truly repent. Truly repent. I didn't see that in Simon Magus. Simon wanted Peter to pray. Pray, perhaps the Lord will, will forgive me. Now, I want you to turn to this last passage. First John, well, excuse me. I'll go to First John. You go to Romans 10. Romans 10, 9. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Romans 10, 9, Paul is writing in reference to Israel, soon time of repentance, but he also includes the Gentiles. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simon? You need to do this. He says in verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto salvation or unto righteousness, and with uh, the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, this is dealing with Simon. In verse 11, the conclusion up to 13, For the scripture says, Whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. See, Simon, did he do any of these things? In verse 12, for there is no distinction between a Jew and Greek or sorcerer. For the same Lord over all is rich in all who call upon him. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, the conclusion, uh, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did Simon come to saving grace? I don't know. I'm going to share something at the end. If so, he blows He blows it by offering uh, money for the power of the Holy Spirit. He then tells Peter, you pray for me. Simon, where's your repentance? True repentance. Simon, where's your true humility? And I think we all fall into this category one time or another. <laughs> Like I said, it took me three years to come to saving grace. Verse 25, the conclusion. Back to our text. So when they had finished speaking about Peter and John and, and preached the word of the Lord, uh, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Revival was on the move in Samaria. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem after they had completed their testimony to confirm their work, which Philip had done in Samaria. Notice the preaching of the gospel as they went back to the various villages. Now, 
this is something historically, and we'll end here. We don't know what happened to Simon Magnus or Magus. We don't know what happened to this Simon the sorcerer. Did he follow Jesus when the conviction of the heart? Church tradition says different. It says he went off the deep end. He became a very dangerous false teacher, false prophet among the early Christians. And I'm not here to discuss Simon the sorcerer, but we taught on it. I'm not here to discuss Judas Iscariot, and we've taught on that. People often ask, well, Judas repented. Simon here repented. Yet we hear tradition. If Judas truly repented, why did he go out and hung himself? Repentance is a change of mind, heart, and direction. Repentance is, is full, full. You have to do it. You have to do it. You cannot buy the power of God's Holy Spirit. We're going to end in prayer here. Uh, up here in the front is going to be Pastor Cliff. And I'm going to ask Sharon to come up here. And if anybody needs to pray for salvation or for rededicating that life, praise God. Come on up. Ask for prayer. If some of you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not sure, come on up. Let them pray for you. Don't be embarrassed. Step out by faith. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. The scripture says it will not come back void. And so, Father, I pray this morning if there's anybody here that is not saved, they come to saving grace. If they're backslidden, they would come back to the sheepfold. If they're lacking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those here in the sanctuary, those that are in the cry room, or those listening to the airways or later uh, listening uh, to the CD, you need to step out by faith. You need to humble yourself and say, Lord, give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And Father, nobody uh, is pressured into giving. We give from the heart. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen. Amen.